we pray. God, we thank you today that we get to be in your presence. We get to take an intentional moment to step aside from the rhythms of everyday life, to be in the rhythm and the habit of prayer and of focusing on your word and of worship. Lord, we know that when we come into this place, into your sanctuary, that you are here in our midst. That whatever you, you desire for us to hear, to sing, to think, to go out and live, Lord, we desire for those things to be made clear and plain to us this evening. Lord, may your spirit speak to us, so may we may go forward as your people, in Jesus' name, amen. A moment ago, we read from Isaiah chapter 61. We read a powerful prophecy written in about 700 BC, about 700 years before Jesus was born, of what God desires for the Messiah to do for his people, to, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom from the captives, release for the prisoners. These are powerful words of prophecy for the Messiah, the one that God promised to save Israel and ultimately humanity. And these are words that Jesus himself quotes. In Luke chapter four, it says this. It says, Jesus returned to Galilee to the power in the power of the spirit and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues and everybody praised him. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom. He stood up to read and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, he gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. There are many things that Jesus was telling us in adopting the words of Isaiah 61 or pointing out those words of Isaiah 61 as his own. There are many promises of hope, promises for freedom, for justice, for restoration, for comfort. Many of these things we long for as well. But I'm telling you, none of them are as great, none of them are as deep and as wide as when he tells us that he has come to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor to us. What is, what is the year of the Lord's favor? When, when Isaiah spoke those words, he, he would have known that they would strike a chord with the Israelites, perhaps in a way that they don't with us. The Israelites would have been keenly aware that it's language that was used in Leviticus 25 to explain the Jubilee, the year of the Jubilee. The, it's this idea that every 50th year, God spoke in the Levitical law to the Israelites, to the Jewish people, that every 50th year was supposed to be a time for all debts to be forgiven, for all property to be returned to its original owners, and a year for the, the land to have a Sabbath, to lay fallow, that nobody would work it, they, they would eat off of stored up things, uh, and it would be a time of rest, a time of total 
economic reset. Just think about the practicalities of that for a second. I, I'm not sure, and scholars aren't even sure, I, I don't think, how many times the Jubilee was actually practiced. Um, you know, it's in Scripture. They're supposed to do it. Who knows how many times they actually did it? Because the practicalities of it are enormous, and probably everything in us would fight against the year of Jubilee if we find ourselves doing better than 50 years ago. Now, if we were on the other side of, man, maybe, maybe some things have gone wrong in the past 50 years, you know, maybe made some bad decisions, wound up having to sell my land or, or wound up in poverty due to mistakes being made or mismanaging or whatever else, that 50 years, that year of Jubilee would, would seem incredible because all of the mistakes, all of the disasters, all of the mismanagement, everything from the past 50 years be washed away would be a total chance to start again. Anybody here ever want a do-over in life? A few people I see would like a do-over. I don't know about you, sometimes even in conversation I just have to go, ooh, can I get a do-over on what I just said? Um, but it goes much deeper than that, right? Think about all the things that you might like a do-over from. A couple examples from my life I, that I thought of, it didn't take me long to think of. Um, you know, I, I thought about a, a trip I took with a friend to go pick something up uh, from my parents' house. Uh, you know, it was when we were living in Denver and uh, you know, he had a trailer and I'm like, let's go pick something up from my parents' house. Uh, didn't realize how much gas the truck would guzzle. Ended up spending like 1500 bucks on gas for the whole trip. More than the value of the stuff that we actually went out to go get. Right? There was a bit of mismanagement there. Or when I left my guitar in the car and uh, the window was shattered and the guitar was stolen. Um, or, you know, when we, we sold our house, our first house in Bentonville, Arkansas. I looked at Zillow the other day and it's now worth like three times what we sold it for. Gosh, I wish we had rented that thing out instead. But even deeper than the financials, think about the words that you would like to recall. And by recall, I mean to have back, to never have said. Think about the, the careless deeds, the hurts that we have caused. Think about the relational bridges that we've broken, the opportunities missed. Think about all of the things that you would like a do-over from. Think about all the, the guilt or the shame or the feelings of what if, or if I had turned left instead of right, maybe things would have gone better. All of that. The Israelites who or originally heard the words of Isaiah, when we're talking about a, a, a do-over, that's something they would have wanted to. Right? Their, their hurtful behavior, their self-destructive tendencies, their disobedience resulted in, in God removing his protection from them. They ended up being conquered by the, the Babylonians. Thousands of Jewish leaders and nobles were deported across the Babylonian empire and forced to integrate. And the worst part for all of them, I have to imagine, would be knowing that everything that they suffered, they did to themselves. That every part of the Babylonian exile, the conquest, the exile, was because they didn't believe that God had their best interest at heart. And they, they constantly rejected 
his ways. They sought after ways that were harmful and destructive to themselves. That everything that God gives us is so that we can honor him and ourselves and our neighbor. And yet we always, we think we know better or we, we just, I don't know what it is. But they had to know, I think that had to hurt, knowing that everything they did, everything they suffered was a result of their own actions. I think we've all, on some level, don't we all know what that's like? To know that we've brought something upon ourselves, that there was a mistake we made that caused the hurt or, or the pain or the mistake. And it's in those moments that I think we begin to think like the people in Isaiah 61, like the captives, like the prisoners, like the downtrodden, that, that perhaps God has forsaken us. Maybe... Or maybe it's not even that intentional. Maybe, maybe he's just left us to fend for ourselves. Maybe, maybe God, you know, we broke faith and so God has done the same now. It, it has to be easy in those moments to think, gosh, maybe we've crossed a line and now God is no longer with us. And I know that the Israelites must have thought it because I've thought that myself too. I'm guessing you have too. And so this question of, is God with us? Does he still favor us? Or, or has he rejected us? The manger says yes, that God is with us. The manger says God has not forgotten us. He has not forsaken us. He is still for us. Jesus was born to proclaim the good news to the poor, to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That he has come to redeem your failures. He has come to redeem your situation, your hurt, your pain. He proclaims to you today his favor is upon us and on you. The year of jubilee, the year of favor is now in Jesus. And when we ask this question of what is exactly favor? It's a word we don't use very often unless we're going, hey, I need a favor. Can you do me a favor? That's a small thing. Usually a favor is, sometimes we ask for a big favor. And maybe that's one that takes more money or time or energy or effort. But when the Lord is favorably disposed toward us, it is a different thing entirely. That God, when he favors us, it is that his posture toward us, his disposition toward us is loving. It is gracious at its core. It is filled with forgiveness. It is benevolent in every way, that God wants the total best for us, that his desire is for us to receive shalom, to receive the, the total well-being and whole life that he has in store for us in Jesus. That is the favor of God for us. And the year of favor for us is inaugurated at the manger. That's how we know that this year is rung in, is that Jesus is born. We know that it is sealed, it is true, it is reality because of his ministry, his death, and his resurrection. That is how we know that his favor is upon us. And his favor is made for you and for me in our baptism. God says... You are mine. My favor is upon you. I know of no other way to sum up the full benefits of baptism 
and of faith other than God's favor is upon you. And just like someone who has a favorite, uh, you know, that favorite can do no wrong in their sight. So too God looks at us as he sees Jesus. He looks at us, he says, you are my son, you are my daughter with whom I am well pleased. So at Jesus' birth, we celebrate with the angels, with the words of Luke 2. Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth. Peace to those upon whom his favor rests. We pray. God, we thank you today that we can know for certain that your favor is upon us. You have said that it is so. You have made it so in our baptism. Throughout our life, you constantly remind us that you are for us. You want the best for us. You're not waiting to throw lightning bolts or to judge, but you delight instead, Lord, in mercy. And so we thank you. We thank you for this undeserved gift of your son, of Jesus in the manger for us, that we might receive your peace. We might know a wholeness in our hearts that far transcends anything we could imagine because we know your son, Jesus. We thank you. We continue to worship in his name. Amen. I invite you